Well, good morning. All of our Christmas play crowd has now exited the room. I hope you've had a good week. I know there's a lot of the flu A, B, C, and D going around, supposedly, but uh, glad that you don't have it and hope that those who do get over it quickly. That's kind of miserable. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to continue on in our message. This is probably the last time I'll speak on Romans this year. Next week we have a Christmas play, and then on Christmas Eve I'm going to actually preach a Christmas message. And it's going to go something along this line. I'll just kind of tell you, you know, Zach was talking about the mystery of God. Christmas is a mystery. Why, why would God paint such a picture? Think about this. Jesus comes to earth in a pregnant, unwed teenager. I don't think anymore, okay? I just want you to stop right there. In other words, Almighty God is allowing misunderstanding automatically in the salvation story. In other words, there will be some people who stumble over that because they can't get past their self-righteousness thinking that God could never do this. And why would God ever, you know, God can't be in that because blah, 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 and, you know, on and on it would go. And this is just where my mind is going for Christmas Eve. And God, in His majesty and in His wisdom and in His glory, decides to take what is shamed in the world and bring glory to it. So I don't know where that's going yet, but that is going to be my Christmas Eve message because it goes along the lines with Paul saying in 1 Corinthians that God took the foolish things in the world and used what appeared to be foolishness to man to bring about wisdom. And here is God's majesty in that. So anyway, just a little dose of what might be headed your way. But for today, we're going to talk about Romans chapter 12. So I'm going to invite you to turn there, if you would. Romans chapter 12. We're talking about building healthy relationships. And by the way, if you ever ask yourself, how can I have a healthy marriage? How can I have a healthy friendship? How can I have a healthy church? I'm going to focus mainly today on the church body because think about the mystery of a church. We are people who basically believe a particular message, and that is that God Almighty came to this earth, sent His Son in the form of a man who is God equal with God the Father, and he died in our place to offer us eternal life. And the only way we gain that eternal life is by believing what God has done for us. That is the only way you can gain eternal life. So this message is open to all, but obviously not all believe. Now those of us who do believe that, we take that by faith, we trust God's word, and then in every region throughout the earth, those who believe that message gather together in one, one local assembly and we make up part of a local body. And the Apostle Paul says, you know, we come from different backgrounds. Some are rich, some are poor, some have this interest, some have that interest, and we are all different. You know, just like yesterday, the Army-Navy game. We have people in the Army in here, we have people in the Navy, and the Navy almost came back and beat the Army. I mean, it was that close, wasn't it? But at the end of the day, even if you're Army and Navy, I always love watching the end of the game because they all go to the corner and they sing together. And, you know, that is really what the local church is all about. 
Some of us have different beliefs on minor issues that really, in the grand scope of things, don't really matter. You know, how many hairs are on the white horse's tail in the book of Revelation? We don't know, and it really doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, we have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've put our hope and faith, our trust in Him for eternal life. God delivered our soul and gave us that peace, and then He brings us all together to carry out His mission on the earth. Now, not all of us have the ability to teach. Not everyone is given the gift of encouragement. Not everyone is given the gift of giving. But when God brings together this voluntary army, and by the way, that's what we are. We're all a voluntary army. You're here by your own goodwill this morning, by the way, and every pastor knows this. We don't coerce you to come. We don't browbeat you to come. You come because there's something in your heart God has put there and you want to worship Him. And if you don't follow through on that, it's more than an urging that you're wrong. It's conviction that you need to gather with your body. But God puts all these pieces together and Paul kind of terms it as a human body. What would your body be like without fingers, folks? We don't often give a lot of glory to our fingers, but could you imagine having two nubs? You couldn't get a lot done, could you? You could think about it. You could plan it out. But you need every part. And this is what Paul is saying. Every part is important. But how do we get along? Now, as we think about this and think about relationships, this is what I laid out to you last week in chapters 12 and 13. It's a simple kind of outline. But we talked last week about our relation to God. We are to dedicate our body our mind, and our will to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him because that is our, that's our logical, reasonable service. He saved our soul. We should give Him our body, our will, and our mind. But, Paul's going to say, now that we've dedicated ourselves to Him, now we're together in a church body, what should we be doing? What should we be doing? And I want to suggest God has called you in your Christian life to more than just listening to a sermon or a podcast or something else on Sunday. I want to suggest that God saved you for a particular good work which you and only you can do better than I can or anybody else. And when we bring all these together... What do we and how do we work together in our relationship with each other? So that's what I want to talk about this morning right there so you see the verses I'm going to cover and we're going to read them right now. But notice before we read them, Warren Wiersbe I think wrote this, I I can't remember, but this is what he says. The basic idea in this section is that each believer is a living part of Christ's body. And each one has a spiritual function to perform. Each believer has a gift or perhaps gifts, probably primarily one, but it is possible to have more than one, that are to be used for the building up of the body and the perfecting of the other members of the body. In short, we belong to each other, we minister to each other, and we need each other. I need you. Hopefully you need me, and you can look across the aisle at every person here. You need them, because we are all part of a body. 
So notice what Paul writes. I'm in Romans chapter 12, reading from the ESV this morning. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I'll come back to that one. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Isn't that twice he said that? Okay, I just pointed it out. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own eyes. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for this wonderful portion of Scripture this morning where we learn qualities, steps, truths about how we are to strengthen and grow in our spiritual maturity and in the function of our local body. So may your word speak to our hearts and our spirits this morning. May we respond in truth and in honesty. And may, Father, as you've said twice in this passage, may we truly see that you have saved us to serve and you want each of us to be involved somewhere in your work. So help us to discover what that is and encourage and and motivate us to do that, we do pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships. There was a man who left work one Friday afternoon, but instead of going home, he stayed out the entire weekend fishing with the boys and spending his entire paycheck. When he finally appeared at home on Sunday night, he was confronted by his very angry wife and was barraged with nearly two hours of a tirade for his actions. Finally, his wife stopped the nagging and simply said to him, How would you like it if you didn't see me for two or three days? To which he replied, That would be wonderful. (laughs) Monday went by. He didn't see his wife. Tuesday and Wednesday came and went with the same results. On Thursday, the swelling had finally gone down just enough where he could see her a little bit out of the corner of his left eye. 
He should have listened to this sermon, shouldn't he? (laughs) In truth, relationships are probably one of the most important aspects of church life. There are people who will not darken the door of a church today because of some type of a hurt from some person. I know them, you know them, and they are real. We as people offend other people. Sometimes it's in our arrogance, our haughtiness for other reasons, but Christians can be like normal people. In other words, we can act unregenerate sometimes, placing ourselves above others, and actually it turns people off to the gospel and the church. And this is actually what was happening in the church of Rome, and Paul was writing to these people telling them, hey, listen, Make sure that you have a sober assessment of yourself and you don't act better than other people. Because when you do that, it is distasteful to the gospel. All you have to do is read a little bit of church history and you can quickly understand why people have a sour taste to church. Because there are a lot of mean church people, folks. And by listening and interacting with them, Uh, you can see why somebody would be turned off or turned away. So always keep that in mind when you are witnessing to someone or sharing your faith with them. Please, never, ever, when you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus, ask them this question first. Do you go to church anywhere? Stop that. Don't ever ask them that question because that can mean anything. Instead, ask them what they think about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? What what do you think about Christmas? What is the meaning of Christmas? I mean, that's a much better way to to start than say, do you go to church? I'm not saying that's awful. I'm just simply saying it can bring up all kinds of raw emotions and triggers in people's minds because church hurt is a real hurt. But Paul here is going to talk about members in this church of Rome who later on in chapter 14 we're going to see were judging each other. And it was pretty bad. Now, by the way, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, where was he? Do you know? Because this is very important. He was actually in Corinth. And if you've ever read the book of 1 Corinthians, it is not a very nice epistle. As a matter of fact, that is Paul's spanking epistle. He goes through that and he talks about divisions in the church, lawsuits in the church, immorality in the church, abuse of spiritual gifts. I always smile at weddings when I hear people read 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter. Do you know what's in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians? It's the abuse of spiritual gifts. Everybody trying to outdo one another. Do you know what's in chapter 14 that follows chapter 13? The abuse of spiritual gifts and how to have order in a local church. Paul put the love chapter in the middle to say, I don't care what kind of gift you have or how talented you are, if you're arrogant and you only think about yourself, your gift is worthless. Because unless it's practiced with love, it means nothing to God or anybody else. And so chapter 13 is really a humbling reminder to a local assembly that everything we have comes from God and we're to serve Him because of our love to Him. So notice here three qualities that you must, I mean you must have, 
to have spiritual maturity and a growing relationship in a church body. The very first one is honest self-evaluation. Now, the main point of this whole paragraph is that Christians should not think more highly of themselves than they really should think. So I'm going to put the text back on the screen. Let's just walk through it because there's a negative and a positive. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to. So, sometimes, and by the way, you see this in church administration, some people will say that they have certain types of gifts. In other words, somebody says, you know, I, I have the gift of administration. And in reality, they couldn't put the alphabet together in order. But they think they have the gift of administration. And when they get a task, guess what happens? The tail always goes before the head, and it's all mixed up. Or you have someone who says, I have the gift of teaching, and they want to go teach a class. And people in the class will not go to the class every time that person speaks because they say, it is terrible. And they'll do everything they can to avoid it. That would be like me saying, I have the gift of piano playing. I could give you about a 30-second demonstration over here, and all of you would be putting your fingers in your ears. So Paul says, we have to be honest with ourselves. What is it that God has gifted me to do? So don't think of yourself more highly. Think soberly. Think rationally. What has God gifted me to do? So Paul says, not to think more highly than we ought, but, but, here's the positive, but to think with sober judgment. Sometimes this requires asking someone else what your gifts are. Say, be honest with me. Do you think that I am talented or gifted at doing this? Do you feel like I have this gift? And by the way, this is going to shock you, but I personally, in ministry, after 20-some years, put more stock in the input of Christians, and I'm talking about average Christian people, about whether or not someone has a gift than I do any type of spiritual gifts inventory. In other words, when somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you really have the gift of encouragement, or you really have the gift of mercy, or you, you really have the gift of serving or giving, or you have the gift of leadership and organization. When, when somebody average comes up and says that to you, you should pay special attention. As a matter of fact, the spark that led me into the pastoral ministry came from a piano player. Her name was Dorothy. She was about that tall. I did her funeral a few years ago. She, she could not play the piano, and she would tell you that, but there was no one else in the church who was willing to play it. Now listen, listen, there were people who could play the piano. But they sat there, and they let Dorothy go up there, and, and I'm not kidding you, she would tell you this, it was so bad that the lead singer would have to stop and try to oversing her key playing. And you know what I thought to myself? God bless her heart because she was willing to go up there knowing that she was going to embarrass herself as she played the piano and there were talented people out there who would not use their talent and their gift to play. Now here's what I can say to that. Shame on them when they stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 
You say, well, that's mean. No, that's telling the truth. That's telling the truth. Because there's two sides of this humility. One side is we think more highly of ourselves. You know, the, oh, I've got this great gift. There's another side to this, and that is that we think more lowly of ourselves. And both, by the way, listen, both have a, a similar root. You know what the root is? It's pride. To say that, you know, well, Almighty God, the God of heaven, saved my soul and gave me a spiritual gift, but I'm not good enough to use it. I can't, you know, I could never do it. What you're saying is God who saved your soul and gave you that gift is not good enough to enable you to do that. And if, if you can actually say that to God with a clear conscience, uh, then you need to rethink and think soberly. Every believer has a gift and God expects every believer to use that gift. Now, before I get off this subject, let me say, because part of my dissertation was on the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. So, believer, listen to me this morning. God has given you a spiritual gift, and part of your evaluation that will determine your role in the future eternal kingdom will depend upon your faithfulness to use that gift in the body of Christ and the people around you. That will be a majority of, of what you are evaluated on. What did you do with the gift God gave you? And I am so passionate and so convinced that the average church member does not know that. And they go through their Christian life and they don't serve and they don't do anything. And one day at the Bema seat, at the judgment seat of Jesus, when Jesus is handing out rewards for eternity, they're going to realize Oh my gracious, I missed it. I missed it. I could have done this. I, I, mean, I should. And, and this is what Paul says that the tears from Christians will come from. The lost opportunities we had to get involved in his work that will last through eternity. So let me say this in case you misunderstand me. Your job will not last through eternity. Your IRA will not last through eternity. Your sports will not last through eternity. And no entertainment that we have that we put above God's work will ever last through eternity. But I'm going to tell you something that will. Your Christian life and your service for God will last through eternity. What you do in this life will determine your position in the next and this is why the, the admonition is given over and over. Be faithful. Be faithful. It doesn't matter which gift you have. Just be faithful with it. And I'm going to embarrass... No, I won't embarrass the name. There is a particular person in this church that every time there is some type of a function, if you turn around, that person is in the kitchen and they are scrubbing food off pans, they're cleaning out garbage cans, they're picking up stuff out of the floor, and, you know, and this person is always in there. And I'm going to tell you something, it's just, it's just in my theological mind, I'm going, oh, great, is there a reward in heaven. I'm telling you, folks, if Jesus said not even a cup of cold water that's given in my name will go unnoticed, don't you dare think that God overlooks people who do the menial tasks. As a matter of fact, I am convinced 
they will get greater reward than the big mouth preacher from the pulpit. I'm going to be, I'm being honest with you. I think in the mystery of God, he'll reward what is not seen more so than he will what is seen. And if that is not motivation to serve, I don't know what else is. Nursery, while I'm plowing in the row of corn here, uh, the nursery and children's ministry and other chances and opportunities like that for, for us to invest our life in the lives of kids, I mean, it is a golden opportunity for someone to serve. And I don't know how to say this because I don't guilt anybody to do it, but don't miss your chance. This is a chance. It's an opportunity for service. We ought to have people standing in line saying, when is my turn next? And if we really could peek back and look into eternity, I think that would be our case. Okay? Let's cover the row back up now. I want to make sure that I cover this point clearly because this is the first quality we must have for maturity and also growing relationships. Number one, humility. The opposite of humility is pride. And what does God say about proud, arrogant attitudes? First Peter, God stiff arms the proud. He pushes them away. That's literally what the text says. He pushes them away. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And by the way, that's one of the only passages in the New Testament that talk about when God gives more grace. When does He give more grace? When we exercise true humility. God gives us grace. So that's the first quality. Are you ready? The second quality is faithful cooperation. Now that we have a humble assessment of ourselves, see the progression? I've dedicated my body to God. Now I have a humble assessment of myself. And now I go into this body to work. How do I do that? How do I faithfully cooperate with others? Well, Paul's going to say, as in one body we have many members. The members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. In other words, we're all in this together and every one of us are a part of this incredible body. So, in light of that, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And now Paul is going to list here some of the gifts. Now there are several New Testament passages that list spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 5, 4 and 5, and there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 4 that lists some spiritual gifts. Paul, Paul is not here being exhaustive and wanting to list every gift. He is giving a sampling of what some of these gifts are that people were to use. So the very first one he talks about is prophecy. Now in the Old Testament, prophecy had the idea of someone standing up and foretelling or forthtelling. In this passage, Tom Constable says that probably Paul meant prophecy in the same communicating revealed truth in order to exhort, encourage, or comfort people. In other words, this is someone who is able to speak into someone's life and encourage them. Perhaps they are to comfort them, not necessarily predict the future. Although I did read this morning, speaking about prophecy, 
that supposedly, y'all ready for this? We are supposed to have the nastiest winter in January and February that we've had in over 11 years. And that came from uh, some source that I can't quote to you, but anyway... They said, you know, El Nino's coming up this way and the cold is coming down this way and they ran those computer maps and January and February is supposed to be the coldest and the wettest that we've had in years. And may I just say, we're due. I'm ready to go to Florida, but we're due. <laughs> now, what I just told you was not prophecy. But what I'm going to tell you now is you better prepare in case we do. Get a, show, a snow shovel. Buy a couple of extra cans of green beans and corn. Get a generator. Now, before they call for a blizzard. Why? Because you want to be prepared beforehand, not getting mobbed by people at Walmart over a loaf of bread and a gallon of milk. So, take advantage. You know, Get it now, and if not, you can have it for next year, because maybe we'll have one then. But anyway, that is prophecy, exhortation. Notice what Paul goes on to write. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. What does serving mean? What's the gift of service? This is the person who's, who's always willing to give a hand. They're willing to help. You don't even hardly have to ask them to do anything. They're there ready to do it. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. This gift of exhortation here is kind of like an encourager. By the way, Monroe, he had the gift of exhortation. They make the best preachers because they can take one point and pound and pound and pound on it. And I don't have that, folks. That is not my gift. I'll give you an honest evaluation. My gift, the gift God gave me, is the gift of teaching. And sometimes it drives some people nuts because they say, we want some more fire from you. We want you. I'm sorry, I can't be what I'm not. And I warned Trinity before I came here, this is my gift. So if you're looking for a preacher like, like you had, you've got the wrong guy. Because I am more of a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't know how to do exhortation, but I'm not going to do it and fake it. I'm not going to put on a show for you because I don't have to stand before you one day and put on that, that show and say, yes, Lord, I faked all that. No, I want to be myself, be true to myself, but at the same time, I need to challenge myself to be better. That's why I go through passages and not just one little verse. It's just... It's just who I am, and it's how God made me, and sometimes, unfortunately for you, it's what you got. But one thing I hope you get out of it is I hope you can go back and look at passages in Scripture and say, you know what? I know exactly what that means now, and I know what I should be doing with it, because this is what God said in His Word. If you are an exhorter and you have that gift, you are to do it. The one who contributes in generosity. Some people naturally have the gift of giving. By the way, my wife has the gift of giving. I'm going to let you in on something a little bit private, I may or may not should say. But if you as a believer have married someone with the gift of giving and you are a tightwad, 
you are in for some marital conflict. Because you begin saving and saving and saving, and the other partner begins giving and giving and giving, and the next thing you know, you're like, oh my gracious, they've given it all away. And they are so happy and so excited, and they feel like they've served God. Now quit looking at Karen, look at somebody else. <laughs> but, but that's her, and then you go, hold on the brakes, I want to retire before I'm 90. You know, and then they come back with the line, you might die before you're 90. And then I'm like, yeah, you're right. Go ahead, give it all. It doesn't matter. But when we have gifts like this together, we have to learn, you know, this is this person's gift. This is what brings them joy. And so what should we do? Should we rebuke them? No, you know, maybe you have to come together and have an agreed upon amount that's reasonable. And she does that. She's, she's my Karen Ramsey. She's the, the budget and the boundary person. But, you know, we had to come to a consensus that, hey, this is what we have that we give away. We give away. We give this to the church and we give this away. She created this little anonymous gift and she likes to bomb people with anonymous gifts. Now, I'm not saying that to make her reward go away at the judgment seat. I'm saying that to give you some ideas. If you've married someone that has that gift, that's how they operate. And praise God for them. The one who leads with zeal. Oh, I've got to organize this again. It's driving me crazy. I've done it so many times. I'm so... Paul says, no. We don't look at ministry as a dread. We say, I get to go try to recruit some more people to do this. God has given me, I get to go do this. Do it with zeal, Paul says. The one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, by the way, sometimes, and this is true in church, sometimes we do have very needy people. And sometimes, you know, needy people become so desperate that they don't really understand when to back off. And so they constantly, constantly, constantly just... Ask, bombard, bombard. And you know, this does happen, by the way, folks. Let's just be transparent and honest that sometimes people ask so much that we give them the palm. We, we are done with you. And what this does is, the, you know, you've heard to say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, if you have four wheels and one's causing problems, you don't pay attention to the other three. All you do is take care of the one. Well, that's where you have to stop and sit back and take some boundaries and make up some concepts on how you're going to work with this type person. But Paul's whole point is, don't let this one cause you to be sour. Be honest with them. Explain to them how you're going to help them. And don't make that your whole focus because it will poison your gifting. Deal with them, help them, but also help others. So when we do this, here is another quality. It's a faithful cooperation. We are working together. We're being honest. And by the way, when you work with people in the body of Christ, sometimes there has to be some honest conversation, doesn't there? Have you ever had to sit down and tell someone, I am sorry, you do not have the gift of teaching? Now, listen to me. I have had to do that on numerous occasions. It is so unpleasant. Very unpleasant. 
It's had to happen. It's had to happen here at Trinity before. Have you ever had to go to someone and tell them that you don't have this gift? I know you think you do, but listen to me. This person, this person, this person are willing to sit down with you and look you in the face with love and tell you, we do not think you have this gift. We think you have this one. Well, I know what I have. I know what I Don't tell me what I have. I know what. That is not faithful cooperation. Faithful cooperation is this, you know, maybe I was wrong. And if you think that I have the gift of serving over the gift of teaching, let me know how I can be of use in this body. Give give me something to do and let me try it and see if that's in fact where I fit best. And then the person sits down and does that. And by the way, it oftentimes works out very good. The third quality is loving participation. Now what happens when somebody is told uh, you don't have this gift? Most of the time what they say is this, and by the way, Christians are great at this. I mean, we are great. (laughs) They don't want me. I'll never go back there again, ever. They don't think I'm going to. I just won't go. And they go and they pout. Now, how do I know people do that? Listen to me, folks. I'm a human. I know human nature. I know how we are. And this is why Paul adds this extra layer in here to explain to people, listen, be, be, dedicate yourself, be honest with yourself, and be humble. Be open to allow other people to speak into your life, to help you figure out what you are. And then after you kind of find this groove lovingly participate. I mean, do this with your heart. Now, what does he write? He says, let your love be genuine. Don't don't make it fake. Love has to be genuine. We have to love some people at 10 foot and other people we can love very close, but we still have to love them. Paul writes, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another with brotherly affection. In other words, see them as your own family. That could be dangerous, couldn't it? But nevertheless, you get the concept. There's something about brotherly and family affection. This is what Paul's saying. We are to love them as our own family. You can't get rid of a brother. You might have a brother you'd like to strangle. But at the end of the day, he's still your brother... And you will go the extra mile for him, even if he has made you severely upset. You'll do it because he's your family. Paul said this is the same way in the Christian family. Now notice this. Outdo one another in showing honor. If I was an exhorter, that's what I would preach on right there. Outdo one another in showing honor. I want you to underline that in your mind. Can you imagine a church family that is constantly, not not fake now, love is to be genuine, but can you imagine a church family that is constantly going around honoring someone else above our own? (laughs) Outdo one another in showing honor. Remember, he was in Corinth when he was writing this. What was everybody trying to do? Stand up and outdo the other one. This one stand up and that one yell louder. This one would stand up and speak. This one would speak louder. And Paul here writes, if you're going to outdo one another, 
do it in showing honor. What is honor, by the way? This would make a great sermon. Three ways to show honor to God and to people. Maybe I need to preach that sometime. Andrew, I'm going to show him some honor this morning. Andrew may be the busiest man in our congregation. He's got a job that's got he's beating on him from every angle, all the time, gone, writing, traveling, speaking, this. But Andrew has the gift of administration and coordination. And out of his own free will, he decides to help us organize our greeter ministry. Every Sunday morning when you come in, there are people standing out there handing out bulletins. Some are making coffee. Some are in the park. Some are doing this. Some are doing that. That doesn't just happen by accident. Every week, something comes out in the greeter ministry group and everybody knows where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And if somebody can't fill in, somebody else hops in and jumps. I mean, it is a beautiful picture of what it's like. I've been tempted to screenshot it and just send it out and go, praise the Lord for this. But this is what it takes to make a church function properly. And he's to be honored for that. And I honor him for that. I'm so thankful for him. And that's just one little aspect of what he does here at Trinity. But God bless him for doing that unprompted. Notice what else Paul goes on to write. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Do it with, in, with charisma. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Another good sermon. Boy, see, I can see them. I can see those. Three good points. Rejoice in hope. We have hope. What is hope? It's desire of what we know that is coming with expectancy. This is what the Christian longs for. Our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what we are rejoicing. It's coming. We're to be patient in trouble because it's not here yet. And we live in a fallen world. And we're also to be constant in prayer. And by the way, the more trouble we have, usually the more we pray. And that's sometimes why God allows it to come. Not always, but sometimes. Okay. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Back in this day, it was terrible. Uh, people had to sit out in uh, Motel 6 and places like that. It was just a horrible place. And Paul said, if you see another believer coming through, you are to take them into your home. Show them hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Now, is, is he still in the Christian context here or, or has he moved in my outline? I said we, we are to have a relationship with our enemies. Are there people in the Christian community who persecute you? Possibly. Whether it's believers or non-believers, Paul says we are to bless those who curse you. I had a trucker yesterday as Karen and I were coming back, got mad because he couldn't you know, get over. So he honked a horn and acted like he was going to come over and run over on us. He was on Karen's side too, so I was trying to get around him, impatient. You know, I, I could have given him the number one signal, but we're Christians, we don't do that, do we? You know what I did? I started praying for him. I started praying for him. Lord, help that man. I don't know what's going on in his life, but boy, he's ill today. I hope and pray he doesn't kill somebody. 
I'd like to have told him that. Bless you. But he would have probably ran over me. Bless those who curse you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, somebody comes up to you and says, man, there's something that's great happened in my life, and you know what happened to me. My car blew up. Stop for a minute. Rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone is weeping, just stop. Weep with them. Learn how to interact in the body. Learn how to enter into their emotion for a minute. Just be compassionate. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Interact. Live in harmony. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't have a click. Don't have a click. Well, I like these people. They're just my friends. Good. I'm glad you do. But go make other friends. Doesn't mean you have to be best friends with them, but go talk to them. Go find out where they're from, where they work, how many kids they have, what their interests are, and invite them to lunch. You never know. You might have a best friend sitting right there that you never knew you had. But if sometimes if you don't exert and take the first step in being friendly, you will never have friends. And so Paul writes here, don't be haughty. Well, I can only be around these people. No, you can't. God made you and He saved you and He gave you a church family. So you know what we're to do? We're to associate with one another, not just the ones we like. We're to associate with everyone. You say, well, you're just being plum nasty. No, I'm being biblical. This is biblical. Because when we don't do that, Paul is implying we're being haughty. In other words, we're better. We think we're better than someone else. And shame on us if we ever do that. May we have great conviction. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. And in case you think he's wrong, he adds this line, never be wise in your own sight. Never. Because sometimes we think we are. Three qualities. Did you write those on your bulletin? Did y'all write those down? I hope you did. Because I don't want you to forget this. Three qualities that you need to have spiritual maturity, growing relationships in the body. Now listen to what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. When each part, each, each member of the body, whether you're a finger, a mouth, a tongue, eyes, ears, whatever you are, when each part is working properly and they're serving one another, they're outdoing one another in honor, they're serving and interacting, when each part is working properly, they make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You want to know what God's method of church growth is? Right here it is. Right here it is. It's every member doing its part, serving, and whatever gift God has given them, they're using it, and it is increasing the effectiveness of this body, and it's causing them to be contagious. And let me tell you something, folks. People want to be part of something like this. It doesn't matter if it's 15 people or 15,000. People want to be part of a thriving, serving, loving, honor-showing 
body of people who love Jesus and love other people. And that is our prayer for our church. This is what Brian and I pray for you. We want God to invade our church with His Spirit in your heart and life and create this in you, to give you this desire. And I'm going to tell you something. You're talking about impacting people. This is when you start impacting people. So, I have two questions. Number one, what are you doing to enable this local body to grow in love? What are you doing? What is your part in it? Okay, between you and the Holy Spirit, you're answering that right now. And then, if you answer, I'm doing nothing, I mean, maybe you're sitting there going, you know, I don't do nothing. You know. Then, then this question can come out. How could your gifts and abilities be used to strengthen our impact? How could they be used to encourage others? And maybe most importantly, how could they be used to glorify God who is the one who has given you eternal life and hope and a future? So I want you to bow your head right now. Heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody peeking around. And I want you to talk to God for a moment. I want you to ask yourself and ask the Lord the question, what do you want me to do in serving in a local body? Is my gift serving? Is it teaching? Is it giving? Is it exhorting? Is it administration? What is my gift? I, I know I have one, Father, that you gave me. But if you don't know what it is, pray that God would help send someone in your life to show you. And then whatever it is, I want you to commit today that in this upcoming year, that whatever it takes, you're going to do whatever it takes to find something to use your spiritual gift so that at the judgment seat of Jesus, when He rewards believers for their faithfulness, you will not be lacking. So you talk to Him now. And so, Father, I pray you would honor the prayers of your people and our heart's desire to want to serve you and to know you. Thank you for loving us, for saving us, for giving us a gift to use to honor you and to bless others. And I pray that in our church body that we truly would be humble about self-assessment, that we would cooperate with others, and that we would... Father, have a loving relationship where we can work and intermingle, that we might impact our community, each other, and ultimately our world. So we thank you for the privilege you give us to do this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.